another edition of the Sight and Insight podcast. Uh, if I'm correct, I think this is number 40, which I find amazing. It's our 40th anniversary. <laughs> uh, we're calling this one Painting Paradox, which sounds like it has a lot of interesting information for you all to sit around the table and drink your coffee uh, and listen to the erudite conversation of our two experts, the lovely Lawin Connie Nagel and the equally lovely David P. Curtis. So, without further ado, uh, I'm going to get straight into uh, what is the paradox of painting, or the painting paradox. Connie, <coughs> excuse me, can you uh, give us a kick this off with uh, what you mean by painting paradox? Is that sure. opposites attract the... Um, the differences, you know, the opposites yes. that come into painting basics? Well, paradox, a paradox is usually that it appears one way and then it has another aspect to it. Okay. So, um, and, and also opposites, when we talk about opposites like light and dark, we know, we can clearly see, or love and hate, mm -hmm. we can see or clearly see that they are different, they're different things. But usually in a paradox, we see that they relate to each other. Okay. So in some manner, some of this that we're going to be talking about in terms of the paradox of painting is that these, these things appear op like opposites. And they are opposites in one dimension, mm -hmm. you know. But then they also come together and combine to make a whole. Yeah. So, so one of the thoughts, um, we've got about five different paradoxes that we've come up with uh, for, for the nature of painting. And one of them has to do with concept versus percept. We've talked about this before in one of the podcasts. Um, actually, I, we might have even mentioned it in the Cousins podcast mm -hmm. when we talked about the blob and bringing sort of something, uh, we bring the elements out of that, that um, wash. But, uh, but what we mean by concept and percept is that a concept of what you're going to paint would be about a mental image, about a thought, an idea. It's more interior. And a percept is is experiential it's external it's what we perceive when we look out in nature we see a tree a house the light hit the tree in a certain manner all these things are are not just external but they're experiential we both feel it and we both and we see it so that's what i would say um is one of the the paradoxes is is this idea that we perceive something external to us and then we conceive. Because usually when we are in, in a, a perceiving uh, or looking at something, we're also making up hypotheses about what it is. Mm -hmm. So that also falls into the conceptual aspect. David, do you have anything to say? Well, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've said a lot. Okay, your time's up. you said it all. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and, and uh, to talk about these, uh, the paradox, I think we're always, always talking about those simple principles of art that make painting together, 
or that w gives the teacher the opportunity to critique somebody and say, your values are off, the harmony of tones aren't right. Um, so, uh, but I think these are, these are interesting opposites that you've come up with, Connie. Uh, concept, percept, I think is, is very important. And I like the fact that you, you sort of put the weight on the perceptual side. We still need the concept to complete the percept. Exactly. I um, think that's true. If I see an effect of light hitting the trees, the effect of light might be over, overwhelming to me. And as, but as I start to paint it, my, the, the way I'm telling the story, the way I'm arranging the trees to tell the story isn't helping the, uh, the, the, big, the bigness of it, uh, the unity of yeah. all of it isn't coming together yet. So I, I in, involve myself in how much concept now do I have to add to this perception to make the perception uh, unified uh, fully. In, in Plus, what I, I would say, in, in just coming as a psychologist, that, that what happens in perception is we see the whole thing, the whole object, represented simultaneously. But when we conceive things, and this is the nature of the mind, uh, or brain apparatus, is that we, we tend to compartmentalize things. So, so when we're conceiving of something, we tend to have see it in parts We're because we order and organize ourselves and mentally organize ourselves so we need both of them right. in painting however when we're perceiving something outdoors i, I mean i tend mm -hmm. to think that way because we're outdoor painters mainly um we see it spontaneously and and in the gestalt in the whole uh, but we must go back and and like um, painting it to completion, we take parts of it. Right. So what we're trying to do here is to explain how they can be more efficient and be aware that they're both seeing this thing spontaneously and as a whole, and yet they have to fall back onto what we used to talk about, the left and right sides of the brain. They fall onto the left side, which is logical, and they must put it down in certain parts or stages. Yeah, and, you know? and the analogy I would have is like the modern, uh, the, the, in the 19th century, the Impressionist movement came out of sort of the, the and was pressuring the academic movement. And they yeah. were sort of opposite. One was very conceptual, one was very perceptual. The Impressionist movement That's right. said, go out and paint what you want. Well, the trouble with some of that in early Impressionism was they sort of gave up on the idea that they had to compose it, that they had to present it. You mean in the Impressionism? Right, that yeah. they were just out there, I'm painting the effect of light. Yeah. But maybe that wasn't enough, so they needed to bring in some of the concept um, in order to structure, true. put a structure mm -hmm. around the, the percept. And, and I think, as you said, the paradox is, is that you, you need both. Yes. You need them both, yeah. but maybe you only need a little bit of concept in a lot of percept, or maybe a lot of concept and a little bit of percept. But it's yeah. that proportion of the two that you're putting together exactly. that yeah. tell, helps to tell the story. What did you say earlier about words, um, that that's our language, is, is in words? Language, yes. And there's this one guy, Rudolf Arnheim, who, who probably wrote the best book on art and vision and psychology or, uh, in the 50s. Um, he said language points to percept.
our words point to perception. And um, did I get that right? <laughs> well, you like seeing. What like I you, mean you, you is that you just took the word seeing and said, "Oh, I see what you're saying." Yeah. So well, I'm agreeing with you know you have to see more. Oh yes, I I see what you're saying. So we can yeah. use that word seeing to mean a big thing. Like like when kids. Yeah, I mentioned to you yesterday that um, that kids toddlers one of the the, the first two words that they usually uh, understand are see and look. You know because we tend to say look at the thing over here look at the tree look at this and um and and those two words see means uh i understand so it it's it's connotes a, a thought a thinking process you're both seeing something out there and you're also saying i understand i experience and looking also means attend to you take your your attention and you attend to something, they say, look over there, you know. Mm -hmm. And both of those have to do with the concept percept. Right. That integration or, so we can say that they're both opposite and paradoxically they connect. Right. You know, yeah. and that's the, that's the beauty of, of the word paradox is right. that you, you realize, oh my God, these things are really actually connected as right. opposed to being... Yeah. Uh, complete opposites. Yeah, sounds good. Um, so, Connie, what would be the second one? You said you had various uh, oh, yeah. opposites to uh, to work on. What would be a, a second one? Well, the other one was light and dark. Mm -hmm. okay. Chiaroscuro. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Am I pronouncing that correctly? <laughs> yes. From David. an English point of view, yes. David, could you uh, pronounce Chiaroscuro? Oh. Um, he says it. No, I've yes. always understood that to mean that um, found in light, lost in shadow. Mm -hmm. Scoro doesn't yeah. exist in uh, uh, chiaro, see, light to mm -hmm. see. And the English interpretation is light and dark, but it, it's a deeper meaning. It's lost and found as well as light and dark. So I think that we could easily see the paradox involved in light and dark as soon as we say, you know, found in light, uh, lost in... So we're not just talking about light and dark uh, on a painting. We're also talking about what is found and what is lost. And I think that's part of that paradox that you talked about. I think that's true. Uh, now another one uh, is impromptu or improvisation or uh, and rifting. What what I'm describing is rifting, which is really just um, almost play, play with something. Uh, it's spontaneous without a script, let's say, versus uh, literal and and kind of painting by the rules. So it might be paint by numbers. <laughs> I like paint by numbers. <laughs> and, and also, I would say in the literal camp, it would be telling the truth. Like, mm -hmm. like um, and we all have probably found ourselves caught, at least I have, um, being in nature and saying, well, this would be a better composition if that big yellow sign wasn't there. Mm -hmm. But I used to think that I couldn't even take it out. I had to literally tell the truth about what the scene mm -hmm. was. And um, instead, most paintings really uh, thrive off of this um, impromptu, spontaneous, you know, mm -hmm. hit, uh, as well as something that's clearly defined. Because 
most observers want to figure out what's going on yeah. here. Do a little work. Yeah. Isn't yeah. that a bit like the story about Hibbard who was painting um, and some woman came up and complained because he hadn't put, what was it, a gas station in or something? Therefore, it wasn't the correct... Uh, the correct this scene because perfect, there, was, yeah. there was something missing but I mean that must have been going back to the 40s, 50s so Hibbard was a kind of artist who felt that he, you know, the, the art police weren't going to come and get him if he took something out because it didn't fit with what he wanted to convey which was the, probably the pure nature Yeah. Uh, yes, I, I think at some point, I think it goes right back to the paradox when Connie first de defined it to meaning that it, it, we can recognize uh, a king and a queen, but we don't understand the intrigue in the, in the, in the, in the, the, the Shakespearean <laughs> intrigue that's going on behind in the family. And that's the paradox. Yeah. So the paradox isn't just the opposites of king and queen, but the paradox is what's going on there with that. And I think this is a good explanation, and that's a good example, something that's Im improvised, Mm -hmm. And then something that is, my father was a marine painter, seascape painter. And um, I used to marvel at the fact as a young man that he would go over and just stand and study the, the storm of the seas in, in full rage. Um, and he would just stand there. He wouldn't sketch. He wouldn't take fit pictures. He wouldn't do anything. He would just take it all in. And then later that day, he would end up with this enormous 30 by 40 painting that I would say, wow, that's exactly what I saw as a kid. And I was amazed that he could do it all from his, I, and a, later on I realized how important the memory is. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And the memory is, is, is sort of opposite the literal. The memory, I think, is yeah. what we would remember best about the scene. And I think that's the improv improvisational. And if you're not good at the improvisational, you're going to really struggle, I think, with mm -hmm. painting. I think you have to have that ability to play off of what is working for you and use more of that than just to say, yeah, but that gas station is right there. Plus, I would say, too, that um, the improv and the, um, and the gestural nature, let's say, of, some, of a painting allows the painting to breathe. Yeah. I think that when you have too many literal things in there, too many things that people can clearly define as house, apple, mm -hmm. you know, vase, this kind of thing, that it's it's not intriguing. It would be like having a book and it and they already told you up front who the who the murderer was, you know, and everything else about it. And then you're sitting there like, well, and I'm going to read 300 pages, you know. I don't want to. I think I'll put it down. Exactly. You know? exactly yeah. No, literal, being literal, um, the positive side of being literal, let's reverse it and give yeah. the literal a little credit, in, is that it, it, it gives you instant gratification for the viewer. And we're the, as painters, we're our for the first viewers to when we look at a painting and make the first judgment. But when that viewer sees it and can identify something in your painting. Exactly. Uh, you know, there's a distant sailboat sailing and there's a storm coming or is the storm yeah. going. In their mind, they're going to put that story together. They're going to make it a literal thing. And the literal parts uh, do help to tell the story. Exactly. As opposed to the impromptu parts don't yeah. right. so much. But do you think that students are, when an artist gets out there to paint plein air, do they get 
stuck in this mindset that it's there in front of me, therefore it's got got to go in. How do you how do you call on that improvisational um, idea that you can well, you can play with it because the act of painting when I, it's a long time since I've painted, but when I was doing that, you get so caught up and you have to do it a particular way. You get stuck. And I almost think, I think you bring up a really good point, because I know in my evolution of painting, uh, my personal uh, way of doing things is that when I freed up myself from, from from saying to myself, I have to put every little leaf mm. and crumb in there, you know, that it just, it just made painting so exciting. Mm. So part of this, this idea of, of being a little um, looser um, is, is part of the musicality, I'd mm-hmm. say, of painting. Too. Did you say you were painting crumbs? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but the analogy I have for this is my dad's story was he was teaching and he walked up to somebody that were at a lighthouse and the person had put the lighthouse right in the middle of their canvas. And so he said, "Well, you got the lighthouse right in the middle, you know. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't you want to? Wouldn't you? she?" And the, and the student replied, "But that's the way it is, pointing at the lighthouse." <laughs> and my my father says, "But the lighthouse on your canvas is in the middle," <laughs> and she would point at the lighthouse. And said, "Yes, that's the way it is." <laughs> so sometimes the literalness mm-hmm. is what you're thinking it is. Yeah, you know, the individual, the artist is saying, "I have to tell it exactly the way it is. If it's in the middle out there in nature, it's going to be in the middle of my canvas, you know. Even though it would look better to yeah. the left or right." Exactly. But in truth, it wasn't in the middle in nature. No, no. She is. It's that's an egocentric thing. See, that has to do with her is standing there, and she says, it's in front of me, in yeah. front of my I vision, see, yeah. right. so it's in the middle of everything. Exactly, you know? exactly, exactly. <laughs> no, I, I, and I think, I think that is the problem of going being too literal, but it yeah. is that interplay of rifting and literalness exactly. that makes really for a wonderful painting. Exactly, um, and I, I think of I always think of George Innes when I think as a landscape painter, yeah. uh, who really was able to do that sort of memory or rifting or um, you know the the intuitive idea of how to complete a painting would work in his painting as long as the storm clouds were coming from one mm-hmm. side to the other, even though he and he was one who was never literal because he did it all out of his head. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. 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 Um, okay, so do you have any Wait, was uh, any a... more opposites? Yes, we do. Um, so the fourth one has to do with ambiguity versus, and this kind of runs on the same thing of the impromptu or improvisation versus literal, mm-hmm. is so versus clearly defined objects. Right. Mm-hmm. Ambiguous, again, we're sort of talking about the paradox. So it is, as you pointed out, right from the start. It's ambiguous right from the start, right? They're, they're opposites. They're not really in harmony. If we take all the opposites in the universe and everything, the opposites are necessary to create the movement that we all are experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's the opposites that help to create that movement of they things. They create the tension. Um, the the, the simple create, idea of magnetism, yeah. North Pole to North Pole, uh, doesn't make it move. 
as soon as I have a North Pole and a South Pole, I get movement. I get the engine moves, mm -hmm. the, the, the whole thing, idea of movement. And I suppose that's one of the secrets behind ambiguous and clarity is that we want to have, we're inviting more movement in, in yeah. our paintings. And I also think it does speak to the way uh, paintings can be musical. Mm -hmm. And I, I mentioned that just a few minutes ago, is that I think that you make um, like something that's clearly defined in your painting can be highlighted uh, almost like in a musical, you know, um, a stanza, you know, you have certain things that really blare out and then there are other the things crescendo. that... Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they, they fall back, then mm -hmm. the, the ambiguous parts will be there. They also allow, it's almost like fodder for the mind, mm -hmm. you know. It's like we have little things that, that uh, attract us right. about the painting, and yet we can't clearly define what they are. Yeah. I think I've got too much fodder in my brain. It can't, no, you don't have any <laughs> it can't get through the fodder. Uh, a good, another story I'm going to tell about this was uh, I had a new student that day, and they were painting. We were painting at the marshes, and uh, they. I said, "So, what do you like here? What, what do you What do you choose to paint?" And he says, "Well, uh, the sky is very nice." I said, "Yeah, the sky is nice. The sky's got movement in it." And he says, "But the I like the I like the the creek and the marsh, the rhythm of the creek." I said, "That's good." I said, "Now, don't forget, don't you know, pick out one over the other. Let one dominate. Don't have." Don't have it 50-50. You know, don't have the land important and the sky important. Let one dominate the painting. You know, don't have it, you know, have clarity and don't be ambiguous. So, of course, I go off and I come back and where's the guy's horizon line? <laughs> right in the middle. I looked at him. I said, you couldn't make up your mind, huh? He says, no. <laughs> I says, well, your painting says that. Yeah. You know, that you couldn't make up your mind whether it was going to be all about the sky or all about the land. But let one dominate over the other. And that's sort of that thinking is part of the artist's thinking, yeah. isn't it? The yeah, ambiguousness yeah. of it. Yeah. And then the teacher comes along and gives it clarity. No, no. <laughs> no, the student should teach himself to have the clarity as long as he also understands the ambiguous qualities. Yeah, but I would imagine that's kind of a hard concept to to learn. Well, the I, artist has so much to think about when they go out to paint. It looks so easy. You set your easel up. You you've got your your scene in front of you, and you've got your blank canvas. But you have to think about all those basics of how you compose this scene mm -hmm. and then you've got to think about all these different ideas about how you're going to you know reflect that scene on your canvas I mean it, it how how do you learn all that information but then choose which bits you need at any given time I mean it must be an exhausting process <laughs> I was gonna say too that when we tend to talk about it like that you know, um, about that they're sitting, setting up and everything, you tend to forget that, that this is a person yeah. with a whole lot of emotion and feeling yeah. and, um, and uh, physical sensations yeah. and all sorts of things. Uh, it's, um, they are coming to their easel 
not, I mean, you tend to think that they're coming and just strictly learning, but they're sitting there saying, I'm no good, you know, I'm crummy. I mean, there are all kinds of self-statements. Yeah, self Your editor is always putting you down. <laughs> yeah, and there are these self interior self-statements that say, I don't get mm -hmm. it, I don't, you know. So this is why, partly why David and I are writing this book on art and psychology is because it is a combination uh, that it, the tendency is to say that you could just go and get your color and rhythm and movement right and and uh, organize your painting and get your amb ambiguous notes in and everything else, but you forget that there's a person there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I and I think that the ambiguous quality is is that nature, and I think it's true to be. Uh, the other words that we had was like rifting, improvisational. Um, that, that's part of the human quality that we have there. Uh, we're not perfect. And as soon as we accept the fact that we're not going to do a perfect painting, I think that invites the idea, but there's potentiality that you could do the perfect painting. We're constantly inviting that opposite to join us, aren't we? Yes. In in our painting, so Plus, that we be makes a whole rather than um, your painting is very ambiguous. You know, I, what were you trying to do here? The truck is going down the dead end. The big sign says dead end, and the truck's driving down it. Is that a good story to be telling? You know, um, you know. <laughs> well, that sounds like the funeral I was. Whereas the, the sign the could say down the wrong way the, and the, finished up at a dead end. The sign could <laughs> say right of way. You know. The way is right. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Um, you know, it's hard to believe that we're almost out of okay. time. And I know you two want to uh, start painting very shortly. So I think we have just one more. Yes, uh, there is thing, one more. Uh, which strikes me as we've talked about, you, you were talking about polarity, David, uh, and about how, you know, when you talk about opposites attract, you think of magnets that they can attract. But if you turn them the other way around, the poles will then repulse each other. So is that um, something that when you think about, you know, opposites attract, they don't always attract. So is there a, a paradox there? <laughs> yes, I think well, so. Well, I think when you want to make movement, that's what you want. You want opposites to be to be near each other but not connected. But to vibrate. The to, juxtaposition right, to, yeah, of To create color. the movement. And that's what the planets <laughs> yeah. are doing. That's what the universe is doing. Actually, yeah. We're all sort of into that magnetic uh, gravity sense of, yeah. you know, uh, quality. And I, and I think it's important that the, this, this remember that the toolbox is filled with these, these uh, one way of remembering it is to fill it with this paradox, with the idea that they're opposite. As Connie pointed out, light and dark, it, all the colors have complements. Red next to green, green next to uh, red, uh, orange and blue, yellow and violet. They all work together, but they're also can emphasize. They can also vibrate each other. I can put a yellow next to a purple and make the yellow really stand out, or I can blend the two together to make it a quiet thing. Uh, uh, Connie even found that this this sort of thinking is. Uh, Maybe this is a future podcast that we can introduce now about generative and... Right, generative and fundamental color uh, theory, theory. primaries. Yeah. Um, 
Wow, that sounds very deep. I look forward to that one, Connie, when you've worked on it. <laughs> no, we're both working yeah. on it. Um, so you were talking about forms invite, Connie. Yeah, I said that forms organize our thought. Because we tend to think that we think in language, mm. you know, but... But space and forms structure our language. Mm -hmm. We talk about it being above, below, and all this kind of stuff. But it's usually what we perceive out there, what mm. we see. But um, it, getting back to this um, idea of attraction and repulsion, uh, we might say that, um, that a curved line would welcome you into your painting mm -hmm. versus too many curved lines might repulse you. And you say, well, that's mm -hmm. just... To uh, uh, just going round and round in circles. I get to yeah, eat a plate and, of spaghetti. Oh god! And uh, but but so so it's a it's a delicate balance of what you use. Uh, you know, horizontal verticals can can create a nice, uh, interesting uh, element. You know, mm -hmm. put a diagonal in there, and you've changed everything. Mm -hmm. uh, However, too many diagonals might make you uh, say, I don't, I don't like it, <laughs> yeah. you know. Right. So. Yeah, I think that's good, an invitation. I think all paintings want to invite the viewer in. You know, you think of the typical, um, I think of one of the students doing a, a beautiful fence post with the light shimmering across the fence. You know, and there's light and shade on the fence, and there's a rose bush blooming up. But the gate is closed. I can't enter the painting. There's no invitation. If the gate was a jar, maybe a jar, or, you know, but if it was a real gate that was open, <laughs> um, that would allow me in. I'd be invited in, right? Mm -hmm. And then the house is, is, a, is destitute, you know? So I'm repulsed. So even if we're totally literal, you still have to have that sort of idea of invitation yeah. and watch out for the repulsion. But maybe you need a re little repulse. Maybe there should be a dead tree in the yard to make, oh, this is interesting. Mm -hmm. You know, make it more interesting. If everything is just uh, hunky-dory, you know, uh, beautiful. So it's always about balance. It's, it's always, always about balance. Always and about. it could oh. be 90% so, to 10%. That's balance. So you could have... Balance on one side, and the opposite or the paradox would be being wonky. <laughs> on the other yeah. side, yeah. 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 But also, when you when you think of balance, you're also thinking about balance of form and balance of ideas. Right. You know, because you want to think about um, that that these structures line. Mass, all these things are, must be well balanced, color and mm -hmm. all the different colors, but also the idea of your painting must be balanced. You know, the context, the context that well, you have it in. Even if we're talking about um, just composition as one of the, the key tools, you need balance in that. So you, it isn't always, you know, 50 50, you know, yeah. th that uh, I have a pound of flour. And here's a pound, weight pound, and that's equal. Pound of feather. Right. You want it to be unequal. Mm. You don't. Well, you want movement. You yeah. want the. You want the uh, the the pound of feathers to look more interesting than the pound. So you're not going to put a pound up there. You want a half a pound, a three quarters mm. of a pound. You you don't want it to be fifty fifty equal. You want it to be unequal for some reason. And I think that has just a lot to do with the initial thing that we, you started was perception. 
I think I think what happened to the impressionists in that time was they got so caught up in just perceiving and how what a wonderful thing it was to go outside and perceive something new mm -hmm. that they forgot all about their principles of design. Mm -hmm. And along comes the abstract artist to say, hey, you guys, you did great with that new perception idea of impressionism, but what about design? You know, so the abstractionist came out and said, you know, design's important too. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing that maybe a lot of people who are trying to be too literal are losing out on is the fact that uh, how are you going to tell the literal story if you can't include an interesting design, make right, it an yeah. interesting design? Well, I think, I'm sorry, I hope I'm not cutting anybody short, but we've actually gone over our time. Uh, this is our Christmas special uh, as it's going to be going out shortly before the holidays. And so I think at this point we'd like to thank you for joining us. We hope you've enjoyed this conversation about um, painting paradoxes. There's always a lot to think about. There is never, art is never straightforward. Painting is not easy, but it's worth doing. It's challenging. So let's all rise to that challenge and go out and, uh, and get some painting done. And so, without further ado, I'd like to wish you all happy holidays. Uh, and, and just Don't forget to buy a penny and put it under the tree. Yes. Put your uh, yes. on. And Merry Christmas. Uh, Merry Christmas and happy holidays uh, to you. Happy holidays <laughs> to, to you. you. Happy, happy holidays, holidays to holidays. Happy holidays <laughs> to you. And uh, until next time, 